It's another Assault on Your Ears, brought to you by Lower Dorks, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. Once again, we are being drawn into the seedy underbelly of the Star Trek universe with our favorite guest, Thomas Maroney. Join us as we break the warp barrier into the world that we like to call the Starships of Season 3. And welcome back to the show, Thomas. That's great to have you back. Yeah, thanks so much for having me back again. Uh, I, I'm sure you say that about all your guests, but I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> it's absolutely true in this case. Usually I don't mean it, but this time I definitely mean it. <laughs> well, that's great to know. Thank you so much. You've recently been moved to a straight-up art director on Star Trek Online. That must be pretty exciting. Oh, it's very exciting, yeah. So I'm I'm in charge of the um, the art discipline for the game. It's pretty wild to think about. I started, you know, as a... A lowly junior UI artist, and over the past, let's see, almost 13 years, 12 and a half years, oh, wow, I yeah. kind of made my way from UI artist to ship artist to ship lead to associate art director and now art director. And uh, yeah, I'm very, feel very lucky to have that opportunity. So I assume that Star Trek Online, the development team, is Klingon rules for promotion. So I assume, <laughs> <laughs> how many did people did you have to kill to reach this level? <laughs> <laughs> we do not discuss it with outsiders. <laughs> Good save. Good save. Good save. Uh, you've had your fingers in a lot of other pies, too. I mean, Star Trek Online ships are showing up everywhere. Do you want to yeah, kind of give us a little bit of exciting. info? Yeah. yeah. How's, how's that been going? Well, we we owe, uh, we pretty much owe all that to the uh, production designer on Star Trek Picard, Dave Blass. He's, uh, he's just been a really great guy who uh, basically so i mean if you think back to season one of star trek picard the final episode there's this big showdown between a fleet of uh, romulan ships and a fleet of starfleet ships and the fleet of starfleet ship that shows up is uh is all one ship it's all the same right. type of ship yes. but there are dozens of them right quite, quite the internet backlash that came from yeah that. right yeah. and so when dave blass became production designer on, on season two picard so production designer is actually kind of the same thing that I do on STO as art director, where you kind of manage the look of the show. Pretty much everything on screen goes through you that needs to be either designed or you even, the art department manages like, you know, like, oh, I'm going to go on Etsy and find a bunch of wine barrels for <laughs> Chateau Picard, right? Like right. the look of the show, the production designer manages that. And so he has a stable of artists under him to do all these concept, you know, concept pieces, or like I said, to source out where they can find props. And then that's actually a different department. The art department visualizes the show, conceptualizes the show, and then they give all the drawings that they come up with to the VFX house and the prop department and the set department and all that stuff. And those, you know, those people go build what the art department imagined. So Dave Blass took over for Picard season two, and he ended up being production designer in season three as well. But he agreed with fans. He's a huge Star Trek fan, and and I could go on and on about how great Dave is as a fan. You know, as a person, he's a great, nice guy. But as a fan, he really understands that Star Trek is kind of a place. You know, it's not just a TV sure. show. Like, it's a universe, and right. there's a, a sense of visual world building that holds it together. And, like, to tie it back to Lower, Lower Decks also understands this incredibly well. Right. Yeah, you look at the sure. style of, you know, they work really hard, harder than I think some of the other newer shows to tie the the show, even though it's animated, it still feels like it could ex coexist with DS9, Voyager, you know, TNG, all that. Right. Yeah. And so 
to Dave, her, you know, experience all that fan backlash about the fleet at the end of Picard season one. And in season two, there's another big fleet of Starfleet ships. And he, he saw this problem and he's like, well, I don't, I don't want to go there again. I don't want to do that again. Uh, but we only have, you know, so many dollars to work with for our VFX budget. And so he started looking around the internet and kept seeing ships that he liked right. and like, Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and Oh, that's cool. Where that, where's that from? Star Trek online. Where's that oh, from? Star Trek online. Right. And so he actually reached out to me on Twitter and started a conversation going. And he appreciated the fact that Star Trek online has been going for, you know, almost well over 13 years now. Um, we, we launched in 2010 and a lot of the people, including me, uh, including our, our concept artists have been making Star Trek ships for like 10 years. Like we're, we are the most experienced people. Experience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At making we're Star like Trek the average ships. show. <laughs> right. Show no, that's, designer, that's yeah. true. Like, uh, is there any designer? I mean, like you always have like, you know, your, uh, Oh God, suddenly my, my mind's going blank. Cause you have those, <laughs> those famed designers, right? Yeah. Yeah. You've got Johnny Eves and Doug yeah, Drexler, like Drexler those guys, you know, they and... pop in and out of it. I mean, I think consistently. Yeah. I mean, they are designers, but they're not just doing star Trek and they are very right. limited in how much they're actually producing. Whereas just the sheer yeah. volume of stuff that's come out of Star Trek Online is just astronomical compared to yeah. everything that they did. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't. I certainly don't want to make a a claim about volume because, like, you know, John Eves has done a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah, over that's the years. true. Eves Eves definitely has. Yeah, he's uh he started, I think, on Generations or DS Nine, one of the two, and then he yeah. worked through Enterprise. Then he came back for Star Trek 2009. I think he worked on all the yeah. Kelvin films, and then and now he's back. You know, for he was back for he worked on Discovery. I don't know if he's done any Strange New Worlds, but he's definitely worked on all three seasons of Picard. Yeah. So anyway, but but you know, but the the point stands that if we are not the most experienced, we are certainly some of the most experienced people doing Star Trek ships. And and Dave appreciated that we that we got it and we understood you know the character of a Star Trek ship and it's not just a generic futuristic spaceship that there are certain rules that you follow and certain style stylistic choices that you make right. to make something feel Star Trek and so so he reached out and we started working together and a few ships ended up being in Picard season two and then uh, which was amazing and and then April of last year so about a year ago he um, I was actually at Star Trek I think it was boarding the plane to Star Trek Mission, literally like in the line to board the plane to Star Trek Mission Chicago last year. And I get an email from Dave and he's like, do you have the Enterprise F? Like that's all the email said, right? Yeah. And I'm like, I, what? <laughs> like I do, I did, but yeah. it was, uh, the model was six years old at that point. It was really yeah. kind of under detailed compared to what we'd been doing. So I, you know, as soon as I got yeah. back from that convention, I just buckled down and spent the next three weeks rebuilding the enterprise from scratch and i didn't even know that they were gonna for sure use it as the enterprise but like having the odyssey huh. show up in picard to me was still if you don't pass up on that opportunity yeah exactly <laughs> had a great b yeah. shots you know though exactly well. i will say yeah, one thing really a lot of they translate a lot of the ships to screen the texturing on the whole is like and they did the same thing with the e in the next gen films, the Aztecing on the whole is a bit too much. Mm -hmm. There's just a little too much mm -hmm. bump on it, and there's like 
I don't think it like looks good to me, right? I prefer the smoother holes that you see, like the D had. And you know what? When the D returned in Picard, they did the same thing. It's just there's extra like layers to it. It's a little too too much bumping mm-hmm. on it, too much mm-hmm. raised paneling. Whereas I would I prefer it to be a smoother. I think it's a you know it's it's interesting thing because um it's sort of a and we are way off the rails here but <laughs> it is uh <laughs> that is okay I think it's a kind of a product <laughs> of the tools right yeah. like you know when you're making a a six foot model of something you only have certain tools to work with and you know and actually creating that sort of bumpy paneling is actually really hard it adds yeah. to the work as opposed to just sort of etching lines into a flat surface, right? Yep. And But when you're working in, in CG, the bump maps are, that's a lot easier to do that. Yeah. So you find that people are tempted to do it more. One of the things that, you know, if you have um, uh, aspiring ship artists listening to this, one of the things that I would recommend is remember that if you're making CG models of Star Trek ships, don't start by thinking them as a thousand foot long spaceships. Start by thinking of them as six foot models that are also thousand foot spaceships and look at, you know, <laughs> spend a lot of time studying those original miniatures. I have found that the models that I built for STO that were based on ships that had physical miniatures, they always looked better than the ships that we built based on a ship that was originally CGI. And I'm not saying that, like, CGI is not a good tool. It is a good tool. It's just, you know, it's a tool. But, like, the fact that you're building something that was based on an object that had to exist meant that certain proportions were, you know, mandatory. There was a certain minimum thickness for shapes, but there was also a certain, like scale differential that worked into like you know by using this thin sheet of styrene i don't know it's it all just worked together really well so you know when when renaissance painters wanted to you know make a name for themselves they one of the things they would do is just copy the paintings of the masters before them right and i think there's a a logic to that in term in any creative endeavor if you want to be a starship artist like go model some of the classics, you know, the, the Enterprise refit and the Excelsior yeah. and all those things. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Enterprise F and Picard, it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'd imagine. <laughs> it absolutely was. All right, well, cool. Well, thanks for giving us the lowdown. You've actually supplied the drink, the beverage we're enjoying this evening. Um, that is an old-fashioned. And for those of you that don't know, an old-fashioned um, is made up of bourbon, bitters, simple syrup uh, in a lot of cases, um, and ice. We we were talking before the show about differences between our old fashioned. I actually didn't have any syrup here, so um, I I gave it. Uh, I put some grenadine in mine, and it has given it a kind of a kind of a reddish kind of look to it. Yeah, that um, actually sounds pretty good. I don't know how do you guys I, make I your think, old, old and fashions? And I think I've said this before. You're supposed to use a sugar cube. It's supposed to be a sugar cube. Mm. You pour the bitters on it. Mm. You dump in the bourbon, and then usually some sort of orange slice or something or a cherry. But who has a, who who has, right. who has sugar cubes these days? Come on, <laughs> no, nobody. I know, Thomas. What you use on yours? What's your what's your old fashioned yeah. go to? I actually probably had simple syrup. I just didn't look deep enough in the liquor cabinet. But I, um, 
<laughs> but I found some blue curacao, and so I thought, oh, this might be kind of cool uh, because you know mm. you have the 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 bitters yeah. in there anyway. And so I used some of that, and it was actually cool. I was saying earlier that it actually turned the whole drink kind of this really deep green. They're almost like you know the the green <laughs> when you dye Easter eggs green, like that oh. color of dye. Right. And so now I have I have my El Dubber uh, El whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Oh my God. Uh, and Aaron, what color is well, yours? Well, I mean, mine is just, just the brownish, brownish, you know. I do find it interesting, yeah. though, that we've all got our old take on the old-fashioned, <laughs> and they're all slightly different. <laughs> kind of harkens to a certain scene the at the end of this season we'll be talking about later. Absolutely. Well, you know what? We've, uh, we need to get into talking about yes. some ships. So how about We're we here do to that? talk about ships from season three. Yeah, we need to do that. Um, so the criteria for it for ships making this list... Uh, so there are either completely new designs um, specific to lower decks or uh, Star Trek uh, existing old designs that have had its uh, first appearances in lower decks. Yeah. So without further ado, shall we go ahead and uh, start going in on these? Uh, on these say that here? like you're dreading it. Like, <laughs> oh boy, we got to start talking about these ships. There are a lot of ships. Long yeah, there are a lot of ships in this. We're going to be here though. all night. <laughs> Yeah, we can, we can go past, quickly past the ones that we don't we don't like. We saw the first contact next. <laughs> yeah, there are certain things. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but let's get started uh, from the first episode. Grounded. The very first ship on our list is actually uh, I don't know, kind of a dud. It's the kind of shuttle like design that we see that you know Captain Freeman is supposedly piloted to help sabotage the packleds. Have we not seen this before? I feel like yeah. this is this from something? Uh, maybe, I don't know. To me it looks like the Eagle 5 or whatever from right a little bit like the Lone Star's RV from mm. Spaceballs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. A little bit. I mean it lacks the wings. Yeah. Right. It kind of looks like the butt of a type 6 shuttlecraft, but then they just kind of I don't know, made it a little boxier. Yeah, I don't know. It definitely like has its roots in a Starfleet shuttle, but um, but they, yeah, you know, I think they just sort of were like, hey, background artist, do a a, a shuttle, and they did, and that was cool. Though I mean, and then they did. I like it. I I don't have any complaints about it. I think it fits well with the uh, Star Trek universe. It's like a shuttle, but it's not a Starfleet shuttle, and I I think that's a good design, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, it's not sure. too adventurous. It follows the basic layout of the shuttle. It's yeah. got the two nacelles. It's got the nacelles, yeah, which I right. like. It's very boxy. Yeah, I'm, I, overall, I'm going to give it an A plus. <laughs> wow, your first A plus. Is this, <laughs> uh, this is getting it. Well, he's grading on a curve for shuttlecraft. Right. So. Yeah, <laughs> I see. Okay. Oh god. Okay. Well, so much for that. So it's a little background shuttle. Not much else we can say about it. But the next one, also from Grounded, is the playground Vulcan ship from the Bozeman, Montana. <laughs> it's got a yeah. It's got a little park. slide coming out of the. That's amazing. <laughs> it's got yeah. swings. The funny part, I was like, at first, I was like, you know, did they take? Oh, so first of all, the this actually has a real name to it. It's the Diplana Hath right, yeah. survey ship, which I didn't know yes. the name of. Now I do. And I was like, did they just like take a real one? And then yeah. you know how they do it where they just like take, you know, fighter jets and they just kind of cement over right. the controls and then little kids can go play on it. I was like, did they just do that? But then I looked at the scale of the ship versus, you know, the, you know, the one that's in lower decks versus the one that they show in first contact. It's completely right, yeah. different. So I guess they just straight up just made a little like Vulcan ship made of plastic 
and then stuck some swings on it in the but, slide. But you know, that actually always kind of bothered me in first contact, right? That it's like too big. No, it's too small, right? Like the oh, it's a it's survey ship, but it didn't look like it like had like living quarters. We, I mean, or right. like much scientific equipment. We don't know that that was the actual Vulcan survey ship, though. I mean, everybody sort of assumes it was. Mm. Yeah, but I think it was just a a lander, yeah, right? Yeah. That mm. that makes sense to me. So I'm just assuming that that's just the landing craft. It's like their version of a shuttlecraft. <laughs> uh, no, it could be the actual survey ship. I actually I love that the slide is coming out the middle of it because you know in in first contact when they show the ship like the the door kind of like turns into a little yeah. loading ramp and some guy on the lower deck staff was like that kind of looks like a slide and then they so made there's it there's some fun trivia so. about this. Um, because uh, we were talking about John Eves earlier. So John Eves designed this um, as he did most of the ships in First Contact. And sure. the angles on this thing were so weird that he had to... He actually built a little maquette and then used the maquette as reference for his like concept drawings, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, he came from um, a model building background. So he used to work in model shops oh. um, and then transitioned over to do doing concept illustrations um and he so he he used that on mm-hmm. his uh concept drawings for the first contact uh, lander so that was cool interesting well i still think it's ridiculous they just made this at like 50 percent scale doesn't bother me i mean that's you know I, I don't know i think it's full scale i think it's the original well any theme park <laughs> you go to there's you know they they have right like it's that's the true one yeah. falcon and galaxy's edge is that thing full scale i guess it might be but but there are other things on, you know, that, that you would have a, a a size reduction just to make it a cool attraction. Sure, I think yeah. it's the That's original true. lander. They actually never let the Vulcan leave. <laughs> They're like, uh, it's the, it's like from the Enterprise episode where they just pull out the shotgun and uh, do the alternate universe thing, and they just kept it. We're like, we're keeping this for for the kids. <laughs> for the kids. Now they just have it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, let's move on. Also in Grounded, also from the Bozeman Amusement Park, is, of course, the Phoenix, I don't know, ride, <laughs> I guess. They must have multiple of these. I love the idea that it's just, you know, you get to a point in your society where it's like, yes, uh, you can just go to an amusement park and just ride a rocket into space. It just takes you in space. <laughs> yeah. You literally go to warp, like, you know, pop around the moon and then just come back. You got to think like all of these actual spaceships that are Phoenix, the Phoenixes are just made with actual 25th century tech. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's it's yeah. all cosmetic, but it's like, yeah, it's that absurd <laughs> level of technology that spaceflight getting from Earth <laughs> to orbit is so easy. It's an amusement park ride. Exactly. Now. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> also the the infrastructure around the idea that because. You basically need a a corridor, right? That this ride can travel, and nobody's going to bother it or fly into it. So there's got to be yeah, right. literally yeah. like earth traffic there's control. Space to like, to well, watch yeah. out because this is where the <laughs> the Bozeman amusement park <laughs> ride goes. I've always wondered about that. Is there like some sort of like air traffic control or space traffic control grid? That, like, when you show up in orbit around any, like, populated planet, it just kind of, like, syncs up with your, like, flight navigation computer. So it prevents accidents from happening. I gotta believe that that level of tech is Oh, yeah, for sure. Because we practically have that now. Just a shitty version of it. Yeah, well, I mean, we have a better version of it for for planes. 
Well, I mean, yeah. I'm just saying right, that yeah. it would, you know, it's it's shittier than what would have to exist if <laughs> yeah. you know getting into orbit. Are going to warp, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, they have jetpacks. You know, they have <laughs> rocket boots. I feel like if we had rocket boots right now, there would be more planes falling out of the sky. There very well may be. Yeah, pretty good. The the uh, the model actually looks pretty good too. From the oh. theme. I mean, this is actually a multi stage rocket. Mm-hmm. Like, or is it? Do they show it being a multi stage rocket in the episode? I don't remember I don't think so, actually. This is actually something that bothered me was if it was multi-stage, the like booster stage wasn't very large, right? Mm. Just doesn't work for the kind of thrust you would need to get a vessel that's this large into orbit, right? Like the, the front half, the cockpit, I mean, that's practically a dragon. It's actually slightly larger. Mm-hmm. And think about what it takes us now to get that to orbit. So the question is, you know, by World War Three, which I guess in the Star Trek timeline has already happened, what kind of... Is it? It's coming up, right? It's or it's any day now. I can't remember. But it's all Sounds like... Right. There just wouldn't be that much of a tech advancement in, you know, thruster technology, right? Yeah. Especially since mm. they even mentioned it was lifted into orbit using simple chemical propulsion. Right. I mean, by you know, the second stage has got to be like a, a fusion reactor or something to power the warp core. Like yeah. nothing, nothing short yeah. of like a nuclear fusion reactor would would do it. So right. I kind of wonder if they never actually made it to orbit. They just made it high enough oh, yeah. into Earth's atmosphere to where they could activate <laughs> the, the warp drive. drive without it completely destroying the vessel. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's uh that's some Kerbal Kerbal <laughs> space program space program level engineering. <laughs> I I totally can see that from yeah. Cochrane being all like, no, listen to me, guys. I was playing Kerbal last night <laughs> and I found out a thrust to weight ratio program. <laughs> uh, I love it if this. I hope this amusement park ride doesn't actually have like rocket pieces that yeah, fall seriously. off into the atmosphere. Once or, it, or maybe they're like holographic like or something, right? Like it's. It, it's just, uh, okay. Yeah. Just for the effect. Yeah. The visual effect. Like, hey, look, there goes the rock yeah. and then disappears like seconds later or something. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, it's possible. Like, there, it is two stages. And the, the first stage, which was normally expendable when it launched, now actually has so much power that right. it has like a small computer on board and it just lands back in its original place. Ooh. Yeah. It does the SpaceX yeah. thing. It just lands back at the. I mean, it's a, it's a funny thing because I've been through just with friends and stuff i've been to disney quite a bit uh the past couple of years and so when this episode aired i i was just sort of thinking about the the actual theme park logistics of like well if you're serving like presumably this is one of the most popular destinations like on earth right if it or or i don't know maybe maybe on earth maybe in the federation who knows i mean it's you know first contact it's sort of like everything started there right so you're gonna make me just like question the logic of that whole scene, aren't you? <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, you know, you go to, you know, you go to like yeah, logistically. How does this work? Right, well, you go to Soren, or you go to some of these other rides, and there, or you know, Star Tours or whatever, right? And they have like six cars, right? Like that that serve that just churn through people, right? Because they want to keep people moving, right. and so like it's like, are there? I like the idea that there are like six Phoenix rockets that are shooting off all at the same time. Yeah. There's gotta be, there's gotta be. (laughs) Or (laughs) I mean like, or the other option is that like in each Phoenix rocket, there are six cabs. And so there were like cabs that we didn't see. (laughs) 
that they just kidnapped a bunch of other people mm. that you know were in the other cabs on their rocket when they oh commandeered it. <laughs> I, they're they're just the one that's in the front that got the window. Exactly. They yeah. have like the good seats, and everyone else is like in the back. And when that other passenger just commandeers it, it's they're also, just still it's stuck. Also like fun to think back. about. I mean, I I actually I don't. I'm not. I'm not saying this is a plot hole. I like the idea that. <laughs> Even when you have a society with holodecks and stuff, that people actually want to do the thing for real, right? Yeah, do the real thing for sure. Yeah, agreed. Anyway, yeah, that's a it's a good time. I love it. the model looks great too. It looks exactly like out of first contact. Even I think even possibly even more detailed. Or I, did they use a model for the first contact? Uh, I believe so. You I believe they use miniature for that. I think it was yeah. a model. I mean, it looks pretty good. You know, for CG. I mean, I there is a miniature of it. I mean, what are they? They use well, sure. uh, whether that was what they used. Right. Or whether they used I think, I mean, a lot of the, so for first contact, um, especially there were certainly miniatures for pretty much everything except for the battle ships, the, the board battleships. I mean, there was mm, a, they, they used the right. board cube miniature and they use the miniature for the enterprise. I think they used the, the filming miniature for the defiant. Maybe that I'm not sure mm. about, but then all the, you know, the Kira, the Norway, the the saber the steam runner right those were all cg um only and then yeah. the enterprise e was a mix they had a, a physical model but they also made a digital model i believe but i mean back then like you know digital this is you know this is 96 i think so the it yeah. was it was a lot easier to do yeah. to shoot a movie with digital mo- or for, with physical models than to make yeah. something digital that that held scrutiny still yeah 25 yep. years ago, old yet. that movie came out. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on. We spent a lot of time on, on the crazy amusement park ride. <laughs> Gosh, also, in, you know, we're only halfway through the ships. From oh, the my gosh. Episode, yeah. Anyway. Yep. We're going to get there. All yeah. right. <laughs> but the next one, it's the dry dock that the Cerritos, mm-hmm. you know, the naked Cerritos is in. There are a lot of different dry docks in Star Trek. I did a little bit of research. This looks like the closest to the dry dock that the Enterprise E is in at yeah, the end I'd, of the So yeah. it feels like they just took like that one right out. Yeah, I don't know much else to say about that. It's a dry dock. It's holding yeah. the ship, but it's interesting to say. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool that they picked an area appropriate one, right? You know, I, I, I kind right. of, I'd be interested to get your your feeling on. It's such a Star Trek iconic thing, but like dry docks always bothered me. What like function you? do they? Something bothered you? Yeah, Stavros. <laughs> like what function? Like it just feels like it's a lot of scaffolding for no purpose. Uh, well, I it mean, doesn't seem to be holding anything. Right. I, I think you know one of the things that we probably aren't seeing is there are probably a lot of little tractor beams and stuff that will keep it uh, help keep it keep in it place. in there. And it's not that, and they there. don't need to be on yeah. all the time, right? Like because. As long as the ship is moving, remember that in space nothing is ever actually standing still, right? Like, yeah. uh, and so as long as the ship yeah. is moving the same speed in the same direction as the dry dock, then it can, you know, it oh, doesn't yeah. need anything actually holding it down. What I'm thinking of more is like looking back to Ent in that episode. Um, what was it? Dead stop, mm-hmm. right? Where they visit the repair station. That thing had like mechanical arms and right. tools built in. Yeah. Like dry dock, it never really seems to show any functionality like that. Yeah, I think the TMP one had a lot of that built into the ceiling that was all just remember, I mean it was uh, retracted yeah. because the enterprise was about to mm. launch. 
Yeah. But I mean, I, I get where you're coming from. I think I think it's a staging area. I, I think it would actually be more appropriate to call it a dry dock if it was enclosed and pressurized, right? If you think about yeah. what a dry dock actually is now yep. today, it's a the ship yeah. is out of water, water. right? And so allegorically, right. like space is the water. And so if it were a, it could still be zero G, but if it at least had air, people could work on the ship without needing spacesuits, which would be safer in some ways. So, Possibly. yeah. So anyway. And we need to see a, a dry dock that right. is pressurized. I, mean, I, 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 I suppose <laughs> you can make the argument, maybe the inside of uh, her space dock is pressurized, but I, we, I don't think we have anything to, to say yeah, one way or the no, other. Yeah, probably. It would be it would be a lot of air to pressure inside of the <laughs> It would be, yeah, that's true. All right. Well, I'm gonna stop shitting on things now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it dry doc dry? Uh anyway. Um next, it's still for we're still in grounded, still in the first episode. The space cops space station. So if you recall in the episode, there you know, there are all these dry docks. There's just these Starfleet security dudes keeping an eye on them. It's funny. Memory Alpha actually calls this one Gary Space Station because I assume there is one of the security guys yeah, is actually guys named, named Gary. Gary. That's great. <laughs> yeah, this is a funny. We've seen this space station reused all the time in all of Star Trek. It's I think it's called the regular one type space station. Mm-hmm. It's you know I think they first used it in uh-huh. uh, so they no, they very no, multiple purpose. Is it yeah? Oh, in the motion picture. Oh. <sighs> Oh, in the motion picture. Yeah, I mean, that's right. It was upside down in the motion picture, yep. right? Wait, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait! If it first premiered in the motion picture, <laughs> yep. that means all subsequent appearances, it's been upside yes, down. Yes, exactly. Are upside down. I agree with Aaron. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Which is actually kind of sad because, like, I think having it reversed from how it's normally portrayed, it gives it a very unique feel that you don't see too often. It does. You know, in my defense, is anything ever really upside down in space? I uh... <laughs> everything is always upside down in space. Okay, fair enough. But is there anything unique about this? I mean, they, they, it's it's just on screen for a few seconds. Really, I mean, I think the the blue lights on the bottom of the docking platforms there. I think that might be new, but you know, it's it's a classic Trek design. Yeah. It's a cool space station. I mean, it makes sense that you'd use infrastructure. I mean, like, there's one yeah. one thing about like ships being upgraded sure but i mean like if it's a, a facility that's sort of staying in place i feel like it'd be a lot easier to just keep that current over the decades or centuries um yeah. we certainly do that and in that, the real that's world one of the sure. things a lot of people like you just you don't think about because we're so used to being like earthbound where just being will slowly cause whatever you're in to get eroded and you know fall to pieces but I mean, in space, mm. especially if you have something like shields, yeah. like basic shields to prevent from, you know, stellar radiation and stuff. I mean, an exterior hull, if it's well built, I mean, geez, that could last for ages before it would need to be replaced. And then it's just a matter of, you know, mm. replacing the machinery inside and upgrading from time to time. Yeah. I guess they, the, you know, the space cops space station that watches dry docks probably doesn't right. need as much... Uh, <laughs> Online tech. Well, I, I think they didn't <laughs> just know, watch space, space dock. I gotta, I, I, I've gotta believe that there was more to that facility. They, they watched the board cube fly by and did nothing. Yeah, <laughs> they're just like, well, there's nothing we could do. You we know, have hit the red alert button. We have no That's guns, you do. so you know, yeah. have fun, Borg. <laughs> That's right. 
All right, moving on. So we're still in Grounded. <laughs> There's a lot of episode or ships in this episode. Yeah, there are a lot. It's true. Oh uh, but we actually see the return of the Federation attack fighters, which I always thought were called Peregrines, but apparently that's, that's just Bannon. Yeah. The name just used uh, sometimes. Yeah. That's because they. This is one of those things people sort of argue about on Trek BBS, ad, you know, ad nauseum. And um, <laughs> that's right. and I think yeah. the there is an episode of TNG where it's somebody says a line like Maquis are now using Peregrine class couriers or something like that. And uh, it's this model, but right. also in that shot is like, or in that episode is the same model that Chakotay had, which is a different ship. Yeah. Uh, his ship was the Valjean, hmm. but it, it showed up in TNG first. Yeah. Clearly yeah very different. different. Right? Yeah. So I, yeah. I don't know. I, Attack fighter is the, I think that's the only in terms of like canonical name that is referred to on screen. I thought it was great that they, I actually, really love these ships i think they're really fun and i like i kind of like it when ships are a little weird and ugly yeah it feels utilitarian right like i i like it when it feels like i mean there's a there's a you know there's obviously a fine line you don't want it to just be ugly for ugly's sake but i i like it when things are feel like they're designed (laughs) around a purpose and i feel like these ships are are like that so i was i was really happy to see them and these are actually very clearly single person fighters too because they show the Security dudes on the inside, and it's clearly mm-hmm. a cockpit. So there's just or, yeah. I think they they were built for the fighter. runabout set, so they right. they have they can fit four people or something. But it's still like yeah. a really small Starfleet ship. And you say ugly, but yeah. like I, I'm not sure. Like I wouldn't say they're necessarily ugly, but they're they're boxy. They don't have the normal yeah. Starfleet sweeping aesthetic. Yeah, I think that's a better a better word. Like, literally, the only problem I have with it is the weird spoiler they have, the, like, roll bar on it. <laughs> like, other than that, you know, I like it overall. You know, it's weird. In this episode, they I think they show up on the view screen, and that's the only real look we see of them. Does it seem like to you guys, like, they kind of look very kind of fisheye lens? Yeah, they do. It looks like they rendered with a weird uh, FOV or something. Yeah. Yeah. There is a... I, I don't know if I can find it. There's a guy who may did a model of this ship this guy made this amazing like update to it where he sort of smooth he smoothed out a bit it's still like clearly the same ship but he smoothed it out he added a lot of like fighter pilot or like fighter jet like livery to it and it really like made it fleshed it out like this is the word i'm looking for where it's like wow that's a really cool take on it that that makes it you know, there's you can tell when a design is sort of like for the background or for a cameo versus like when somebody right. spends extra time on it to really to to make it you know a hero prop. And this guy did that, took that extra mile. That's kind of useless for your listeners, but I'll, I'm going to put it in chat for you guys to see you. You know, it's it's not it's a cool <laughs> detail for sure. I you think I actually check it found out. what you're talking about on your Twitter feed. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Fire it production. is amazing. It's, very high detail. Oh, very um, cool. Yeah, I like it. It still has that that spoiler problem that I, <laughs> I don't like, and I don't. How know dare why. you? It's spoiler makes it cool. It makes it faster, man. Come yeah, on. Of course, of course, it does. <laughs> well, like he added all the little RCS thrusters. He um he angled the front nacelle busser collectors so it follows the line of the triangle at the front. Yeah. He added some underwing munitions, which is super cool. And they look like, you know, they look like photon torpedoes. It looks like he's got like 
four photon torpedoes and two quantum torpedoes added the squadron number like just a lot of cool stuff to really flush mm. it out like it's like if you were gonna make a tv show about these guys like this is the this model is that like you use make it like this yeah, yeah. So, yeah i will say great. one flaw that i see with this design that that bothers me uh, I guess two, because I already mentioned the spoiler. <laughs> spoiler bothers me. But it oh, breaks God. the rule of the uh, nacelles have to have line of sight with each other. Well, I mean, that's the original. I mean, the, the, so Hangar B Productions, the guy who made this, he's... Um, no, 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 he no. Gets... The original design yeah. has that problem, yeah, too, yeah. right? And that's that's just a, a flaw with it that, that bothers me a little bit. Yeah, I think you basically have to... I mean, there are so many Star Trek ships that do that nowadays. And it bothers me. It doesn't even Defiant does that. No, yeah. the Defiant actually Something bothers is you. so clever because you think it does it, but if you look at the underside, yeah. the it's cut out. So they actually have fifty percent line yeah. of sight. So you could I think you could make the argument that the big impulse engines on the back, that whatever needs to have line of sight is like stored in that part of the ship. That's anyway. true. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. It's entirely possible that, like, that back section is just hollow, right? Yeah. I don't know. The other, I mean, <laughs> anyway, this is a cool, so go look up Federation Attack Fighter on Sketchfab, uh, Hangar B Productions, to see what we're talking about. It's a really cool model. It's a lot of fun it to spin around. It is a cool and, model. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, yeah. turn up, crank up Danger Zone while you're looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw the link in the uh, episode description for sure. Uh, let's move on. Uh, we're still not out of freaking grounding. <laughs> Thankfully, the next episode. two episodes, I think, only yeah. have like one ship. To be ship, fair, so. like the beginning of this, the the first couple episodes and they the last out couple have a lot yeah. of stuff in them. <laughs> anyway, so uh, later on in Grounded, still, um, when Captain Freeman is telling the story of how they tracked down the Packleds, we actually get a look at an Akira that has not been seen in Star Trek officially uh, for some time. Um, I assume, uh, based on contacts in the story, kind of assuming that this ship belongs to uh, Kelsey Grammer, the Captain Morgan Bateson. What do, you, what do you guys think of this ship? I think it's another, like, it's similar to the Star, the uh, Federation Attack Fighters, where it feels like it's kind of like a more matte than a 3D model. Is this a 3D model? It's hard to tell by looking at it by, from an untrained uh, I eye. I don't but... think so. I mean, like, so I think the Attack Fighters and this ship, they're all, aren't they kind of stationary on the it's screen? All 3D. They are they are stationary. So yeah. they probably they're probably just paintovers because I mean you don't the to bring a 3D model into your show is a, quite a lot of effort. So if you find sure. uh, if you find a screenshot you like, and actually Lower Decks has done this a few times where they like you can tell somebody in the in the art department Googled like Wrath of Khan engine room and found a screenshot <laughs> from the movie yeah, and painted it over it, right? Which is right. totally fine. That's, that's art. And that's actually, that's production art on a schedule, right? That's just how right. how you have to do it. You just can't do yeah, it any other way. It. Yep. Right. So yeah, I think I think this and the attack fighters are both kind of in yeah. the same. You know, while the boat. Akira might be a paint over, the ship it's shooting at definitely can't be. Because... You don't think so. Yeah, well, I mentioned this before. I spent ages trying to figure out what ship this was because I was like, "I've <laughs> From seen something. this before." I didn't know. I, yeah, this this means something. As I <laughs> it in my mashed potatoes. Uh, <laughs> so not weird at all. It's it's like a redress of the Retellian freighter from Enterprise, and it gets it gets redressed mm. a few times in Enterprise. Every time it's slightly different, and this one doesn't match any of the redresses from enterprise so hmm. 
It's possible it's like a pain over, but they definitely took a lot of artistic liberty with it. Mm. The dimensions are wrong on the like nose portion. Uh, it's like none of the back half is really there like it is when it appears in Enterprise. And the pods, the wing things on the side, are like, right. they're more like wings rather than cargo pods. Interesting. Um, hmm. Yeah. But it's definitely that. I mean, the nose portion and the top center portion, the details are just way too close for it to not be that ship. Yeah, it's such a it's such a small ship with a small amount of real estate that's only shown for a few seconds. Yep. Yeah, it's uh it's interesting. And yet it haunts my dreams. So small <laughs> for such a short time. I lie awake at night. Where have what I seen ship? you? <laughs> uh Thomas, do you have anything to say about that? Uh I see a comparison somebody made. Um well what's one of the things that's interesting about it is i think maybe we're only seeing because if there's a big explosion and i think the explosion is like covering up the back pods maybe uh, it, yeah it very well could be yeah so but it's you can see the the yeah i see what aaron's talking about in terms of the front is is very much based on the retaliant freighter but there's there's a lot of other stuff going on there so yeah i don't know yeah the butt's kind of getting exploded so understandable Bro, that whole image is great i love it yeah, absolutely. I love the Akira. It's fun Akira, seeing it kicking butt. I love the Akira, yeah. It's great. Well, and just the rendering of it that they've done is very mm-hmm. solid. Um, it just cool. it looks nice. Yeah. Yeah, that the only thing I don't that I wish that had a little bit more detail, same thing with the Defiant that shows up later. Um, no registry number when they're theoretically should be on Starfleet ships. It's just one of those weird details yeah. that bothers me a bit. The ship is so pretty. I just wish it had a little number, a little name. I just want to know all the details. What do I, what, what do I call this ship, man? I don't know. It's just Akira from Flashback. That's one thing that uh, Dave Blass is great about is he has released like on Twitter the registry, yes! name, the name and registry number of all the ships in the yeah. I love it. We need lower decks of because yeah, that's yeah. what that's what Star Trek fans love. They that's they right. do. They don't need to give them good storytelling. You know, this is no, this is really where details. they're falling down. Is all this new track? They're like. We're going to tell great stories and we're going to have solid characters and, you know, we're going to have tension and action and, you know, yeah. suspense. And the fans are just like, give me registry numbers. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I want to know what what's the uh, what's the plaque on the bridge on that ship? How come it's That's never right. in frame? Do you, do you guys remember when the the Abrams reboot came out? There was an uh, um, amazing onion. uh it was one of their video pieces. It was like Star Trek fans furious that the new Star Trek movie is entertaining and watchable. Yeah. <laughs> I remember yes. that. Sounds about right. Uh, Sounds about right. You know what I mean? That's any anyway, fandom, we, we focus too much on like the negative, but like there's always going to be stuff to complain about and there's going to be somebody yeah. to complain about it. But that doesn't mean that's mm-hmm. the whole fandom. It's just, you know, yeah. the vocal no. ones usually. It was just a, <laughs> it was just such a, well, it was, as a person who has sort of a, you know, a, a mixed relationship with the, the JJ movies, I, I certainly felt, <laughs> saw myself in the, uh, in the attack. It was on too, the, real. Yeah, it was too real. Too real. Too yeah. real. Well, the JJ movies for I me, like have the same problem that a lot of like modern Trek has where like they do these big setups and then they don't follow through on them, which I mean, that's, that's Star Trek as a whole though, you know, Voyagers mm. lost and alone in the Delta quadrant yet somehow never runs out of shuttles or torpedoes. 
you know. <laughs> One of those things. Enterprise, yeah, yeah. it's, you know, their first adventure into the unknown in the distant past of the Star Trek universe. And yet everything is very familiar. Yeah, you gotta, yeah. you gotta, I mean, I think that's one of the things that you sort of forget that to do that world building and then, and then refer to it when you're, you're telling these stories, right? Like, yeah, like the world building has to serve the story. Yeah. A lot of writers see well defined world building as, constraining but i i you know i as, as an artist you sort of you got to remember the constraints are good like you would do better work yeah. sometimes nice. when you have to yeah. color in the lines yeah. bringing this or, back you know, around to what we're talking yeah. about yeah star trek has <laughs> laid out mission. design rules for starships yeah <laughs> and when they're trying to be creative with them you get things like the defiant that's right yeah <laughs> All right, cool. Well, well, I think we move on to the next ship, which is <laughs> yeah. actually I I think is underappreciated. I actually oh, really yeah. like this ship. I feel so. like you. I saw some recent internet commentary yeah. from you on this yeah. very ship. Yeah. But it's the uh, again, it's still from Freeman's story. Uh, we get a view of an Olympic class uh, investigating Paclid Planet. We haven't really seen one of these in Star Trek canon since. Gosh. Well, it, was, it was. It there was one in Lower Decks before. Yeah. There was. Oh. There was a flashback to. Mariner's time on a previous ship. I forgot the name of the ship. You know, it was docked at the S9, uh, yes. and Mariner had her crazy updo. Right. Yes. yes, that's right. And, you know, it was a young baby Mariner, but it was in the right. last ship, too. So, what, one thing that you want to say about the Olympic, they don't, yeah. really don't want to dwell on, <laughs> we got to get past grounded here, but the, um, <laughs> you, can do you, just, you could just make this episode about grounded. <laughs> <laughs> This is going to be a three-parter, and the yeah. first one is just going to be grounded. Oh yeah, boy! I think. But so the you know when Matt Jeffries was designing the original Enterprise, the, this is actually one of the shape configurations he experimented with was a big instead of a saucer, a big sphere. Yeah, a sphere is actually a perfect yeah, it was a perfect yeah. pressure vessel, right? So it sort of makes sense if you remember 2001: Space Odyssey. The Discovery also has a right. big sphere shape at the sphere front. It's mm-hmm. a good it's yep. a good shape for a spaceship. Well, kind yeah. of. Right, because on the one hand, it's a great pressure vessel. Ugh, pressure vessel. On the other hand, it's not great for surface area, which mm-hmm. makes it like because one of the things that the problem with spaceships is heat radiation. Right, right. There's really nowhere to radiate it to, and so the, do Star Trek ships have that problem though? No, I guess they, they never do? talk about it. No. Mm. I mean, on so in the Discovery in 2001, the original design had giant radiator fins, but Stanley Kubrick told the artist to remove them because, quote, spaceships don't have wings. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, thought, he thought there were wings it. instead of radiators. Nice. If you want to see a ship that actually, like in a popular sci-fi universe that actually does think about heat management, the um, Venture Star, I think, in Avatar, in the Avatar first Avatar movie. Avatar is one of the best starship designs mm. in recent yeah. sci-fi. It's just so well thought out. Yeah, it's very well thought out. It's not, you know, it's only in like five minutes in the movie, if that. Yeah, which is weird. Like, yeah. they put so <laughs> much, you know, it's probably just like they, they had some designer on staff. They're like, yeah, just, just make us a realistic starship. And that's what well, it came up Yeah. I think that's that's one of the things that like I think that's one of the things that James Cameron does really well. We talked about world building earlier. James Cameron really cares about world building to the point where they hired an ethnomusicologist to create 
the music <laughs> of the Navi on, you know, like they went to that yeah. length. Yeah. But then it just sort of fell down. Like you need both. You need an, you need a very. I mean, I don't know. A lot of people love Avatar, and I I think it's I mean, a watchable movie. It's, but it's, it's the greatest in terms movie of... of all time. It's the only movie <laughs> with a robot <laughs> knife fight. Robot knife fight. <laughs> anyway, we're we're done with the Olympic. Yeah. I think it's great. I like it. Some people think the ball is doofy. I don't care. I think it's cool. Yeah, the ball is not the problem with that starship. It it does the weird thing yeah. with like the nacelles where it feels like they're the pylons are just tacked on. But I mean, other than mm. that, it really and it like it's it's great design language. It has an excessive amount of windows. It has an excessive amount of surface area. And all of that just tells the story that this isn't an exploration ship. This isn't a war vessel. This is something. And the only ones we've really ever seen are like medical ships and whatnot. Right. This is something used for a people purpose rather than some other war or exploration or cargo hauling. Just it's good design. We uh we had fun with this, and so we we recently I say recently all the years blur together. Um, I think it was late late last year. We um, we did a, kind of our own version of the Olympic class in Star Trek Online, and what we ended up deciding was that the ball. This is not canon. This is how it works in Star Trek Online. But we thought it'd be cool if the ball was actually sort of a temporary starbase, and so the ship, like Ooh. the ball, actually separated, and yeah. the the ship like left the ball behind in orbit, so that it could <laughs> like you know take care of the crisis. Yeah, and then the, the ship came back right. later to pick it up or whatever. I've I've always said that that's a good right. idea for starship design in Star Trek is take the the saucer or in this case ball separation and make that like a long term or not even long term but like short term base, right? Yeah, I think um, that that's great design concept. I'm just imagining their captain going, prepare for emergency ball sep. <laughs> and that's... We, I think we, officially we called it sphere separation. Sphere separation? Uh, to, uh, that's to less avoid, fun. To, Way less fun. To avoid uh, <laughs> exactly that problem. Oh, uh, man. It's time to drop our anyway. ball. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Canada at all. Junior high humor. I think. <laughs> Are we done? <laughs> yeah, we no, finished. We finished. Oh God, I'm so glad we're no longer grounded. <laughs> I know we made it. All right, the next is not a ship, but I included it anyway. It's from the episode "Least Dangerous Game." Planet Dulane has some something something technical about problem about not being able to transport through their atmosphere, and they have orbital lifts. That so this is not the first time orbital lifts have been in Star Trek. So you know. We've seen these before, but not quite this design. Is this the second time? Because there was one in Voyager. Right. Right. On the they mining a space elevator. planet, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, Neelix right. gets, they get trapped Neelix on a, and, one of the cars with uh, a terrorist right? or something. Get yeah. On... And that was right. actually kind of a cool, I think they, I think they sort of undersold how just, I forget what's the uh, rating on this podcast. You can say whatever you want. Okay, all right. There's no right. I, I think they seventeen. <laughs> I I just I, I think they undersold in that Voyager episode how batshit insane space elevators are. <laughs> they uh, really are. And they, I think they did a better job in this episode of like you know because she it's easier when it's animated to have her do the the free fall and all that stuff. Like yeah. this is yeah, a yeah. fun episode, and it would you know it, it sort of it leaned into the the concept in in cool ways. Yes. 
the funny the funny part about this just looking at the design now i mean the the elevator is a very small amount of the area used it looks like maybe the top is just one big lounge Mm, and they, they kind of make a they talk about the episode about how they had to evacuate the elevators yeah. or whatever mm-hmm. but i mean but, you would assume that the top level is some sort of like docking station um which yeah, actually yeah. interesting yeah. thing about That's this true. design um space elevators like if you had like a space elevator designed like this where it just goes up into orbit and then there's you know a big like docking ring at the top like that shit would fall down like right away. You have to have like a <laughs> counterweight on the other side. Yeah. But then there's also like the reality of the like sheer insane amount of maintenance that would be necessary unless like you had some very advanced material science. Um like they're always talking about, "Oh yeah, we we'd need to have carbo carbon nanotubes to to build the tether out of." And it's like even then, like <laughs> you would need just like crazy amounts of maintenance. Because this thing is going to constantly be getting corroded by the atmosphere. Mm. Did you have you guys watched uh, Foundation, the show? Yes, I haven't been able to. But uh, they have an amazing sequence with the space elevator in that in that show. I don't want to spoil it, but it's it's a lot of fun. It's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. I don't know space elevators nice. very cool, but they're they're questionable concept at best, <laughs> especially in a world with anti gravity. All right, well, let's move on. Um, in the episode Mining the Mines Mines, uh, we actually get the USS Hood showing up. Uh, this is a ship that we've seen on screen and at the very least next gen. Talked about all the time. Riker's old, one of Riker's old ships. Um, looks pretty much exactly the same as we've seen it sh- uh, appearing in next I gen when it showed up. I don't actually think it looks exactly the same because in next gen. Oh, what's different? Well, in next gen, it was a model. And in this one, it's a cartoon. <laughs> They added, uh, there are a lot more windows on yeah. this. Uh, oh, are there? Yeah. Is that on the engineering hall? Like the kind of stripes? I of, think like yeah. all windows? around it has more windows, but the engineering hall is just the most egregious example. But you know, I've never really, like, I, I have a love-hate relationship with the Excelsior. Because it does that weird thing with the nacelles and the pylons where it feels like they're just tacked on. Yeah, I mean... To to be fair, like that was the whole idea. Like, yeah, it was. It was the a... cells are supposed to be tacked on because they're supposed mm. to be, you know, swappable yeah. modular pieces. Yeah, and this this vessel was like in its original appearance, it was a test bed ship, right? Right. Um, and I think as far as that design goes, it works really well. But then, of course, you know, they kept it around for ages because they had the model. <laughs> they spent so much money building yeah. the model, they got to keep get, get their. They certainly <laughs> got their money's it. worth out of that model. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> it's just interesting they went back to that i would say the old well i mean it's not like it's shown up tons of times but i mean it's not like the hood's unheard of right yeah back. i think that was you know i think they wanted to do they show captain DeSoto in this episode or just just say it was I think the hood there's if uh, after i remember opening after the opening credits they kind of show the captain being like yeah we did it and he beams up and they leave oh, and okay it's a mess there's a great i if you'll indulge me here, there's a great fan project going on right now, a Wolf 359 memorial. It, it just find, let's search Wolf 359 on Twitter, and I think you'll find it. Um, but it's basically a an oral history of the Battle of Wolf 359, and the Ooh. the Hood and Captain DeSoto are a big big part of that. I could talk about that 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 thing for an hour. It's really really well done. <laughs> it's it's an oral history, so it's like do you remember if you if you've ever read World War Z? Where it's like yeah. each yeah. chapter is a different person. It's, it's documentary. Right. This is style, like that. Though. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is like that, but for Wolf Three, the Battle of Wolf Three Five Nine. Actually, sounds amazing. It's That's really, fun. it's really good. It's really good because it's like it doesn't just show, it doesn't just interview the characters that are in the episode. It does, like you know, they're interviews with Riker, Shelby, Data, and they nail the the voice of all those characters. But it's also <laughs> they also interview all the people that like should have been a part of that, like the you know the chief of staff of the Federation, and they're like. Right. The Borg are coming. We have to evacuate Earth. And, you know, and they, they like call up this guy who runs a colony transport service. <laughs> and they're like, how long would it take you to evacuate Earth? And he's like, years? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the Borg are like I love it. 10 days away or whatever. And so it's like <laughs> that level of like fleshing out the whole scenario in really cool ways. So go, go check that out. Um, it's, uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, well, let's move on to our next ship. Um, on the episode Room for Growth, we actually get a number of ships. The first of which is the Dove. It's the, I'm going to call it Rehabilitation, the Mental Health Ship. Interestingly, you know, has an Adosian captain, much the same as the Ostler, who mm-hmm. is, uh, they do like the, you know, the transport to the farm in a previous season. I was, you know, we talked, Aaron and I talked about this a little bit earlier. Like, this is a, seems like a very high detailed high production value ship considering the role it has in this episode i'm wondering if this is just another situation where you know they had an artist like okay we got to make a new ship uh and and he just went nuts on it and they but they only show it for a few seconds on screen yeah i don't know i mean i don't think it's a it's not a reuse of anything right it looks no i don't think so yeah i will say though like it has design elements that are taken from all over the place it almost feels like somebody took a whole bunch of pieces of other ships in like you know just yeah like whatever 3d studio max or whatever <laughs> and just stuck them together and painted over it because like the butt is like <laughs> we've seen that round configuration many times before right on various vessels but not like that exact thing it's even very similar to what's on the phoenix right that that back section of the phoenix mm. just mm. with white lights instead like of that. red or blue lights um, yeah. That middle section, I know I've seen that before. It's like an escape pod from Enterprise. Mm. It's almost like the Star Trek version of like the Flossed in Paradise from uh, yeah. <laughs> like the front of yeah. it, right? It has like a cruise ship yep. kind of yeah. feel. That fits with what it's supposed to be, though. Yeah, exactly. That's a that's actually a fun ship from from Fifth yeah. Element. It's an interesting idea that there's a instead of like a resort or whatever, there's like a mobile rest relief facility you yeah. figure though like all the stuff that like star trek crews go through there's got to be like an entire industry and it's right i mean obviously not an industry oh wait no i this this is perfect i so i'm working on a project just sort of looking at like i don't even know how to explain it. it's sort of a writer's guide for star trek ships like here's all the the hmm. naval history that like inform star trek ships here's what starfleet is like just Top to bottom, if you don't know anything about Star Trek ships, but you want to write, you know, fan fiction and you want to do a good job, be thorough about it. You know, like, here are all the the sections of a ship, like bow, keel, all the naval terms, all that stuff. Anyway, so one of the sections about life on board a Starfleet ship, and one of the sections there is about, like, mental health, right? And, like, how does Starfleet support the mental health of the crew? And so I, you know, talk about, like, oh, well... you know, it's probably pr- pretty progressive attitude towards mental health and mental health support. But the things that you deal with in Starfleet mean that sort of that 
the job of the mental health professional must be much more challenging. And I use sure. O'Brien as an example. <laughs> and I oh, list no. out oh, all no. of the terrible shit that O'Brien <laughs> went through. And the and like, can I read it to you guys? I brought it. Can I oh, read it to you? I mean, it's, of course. like, yeah, yeah. I just I know what's coming, and it's like that's that's the whole joke, yeah. right? <laughs> O'Brien must suffer, and it starts in TNG. Right. Everybody talks about his time in DS Nine, but like he doesn't have a yeah. good time in TNG either. No, no, yeah. So I mean, like, starts off you're like, oh, okay, it was a combat veteran, yep. right? The experiencing mm-hmm. the brutality of the war against the Cardassians. Right. He is later possessed by an alien entity who attempts to k- take control of the Enterprise and threatens to kill his own wife and child in yep. uh, power play. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. He watches himself die several times in DS9 Visionary and DS9 Whispers. He experienced <laughs> 20 years of prison in the blink of an eye in DS9 Hard Time. He's framed, yeah. captured, and tried by a hostile foreign power in DS9 Tribunal. Uh, and he also saw his daughter transform into an adult who did not recognize yeah. him and could not communicate with him, then saw this version of his daughter disappear in DS9 Times yeah. Orphan. So, like, Ugh. like that's that's messed up, man. <laughs> you got to think, okay, well, we're, we're getting off track here, but I think it has to be said. So, Migley Mode just must suck, okay? <laughs> like, they... They they had a problem, a mental health crisis, yeah. where the engineers were overworked in this, uh, this episode. Did they say, let's go to Migley mode to have him fix this? Right. No. no. They, went to, they had to hire yeah, a contractor. No, here's the thing. <laughs> this may be a standard Starfleet thing, where it's all like, once your entire mm. crew, or like there's a threshold of like so many people. Uh, there's enough like, people. It's like, yeah, yeah. you know, O'Brien <laughs> went through a traumatic experience, send him to the ship's doctor, no big deal. But when it's the entire engineering right. department, then you're like, you right. know what? <laughs> I will call in the specialists. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also, they do have like, you know, it's in the 24th century, right? They've got mental implants. They've got holodecks. They've got telepaths, yeah. right? Like they have a lot, they have a lot uh, more interesting tools in their toolbox to deal with mental yeah. health. I, I thought it was cool that in, in uh, Strange New Worlds, Fox was like, you know, the mind meld is not a shortcut to, to mental. Yeah. yeah. That was a good line. Cure mental yeah. trauma. I know. And you know what? But here's the best part about that. Just taking that in the strange new world's conte- context. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a great mm-hmm. quote, except he has direct experience with that, with his sister. Right. <laughs> mm. I, yeah. I think it's, I think it's one of the things where they, they said that because they didn't want people to, think that it was but also i think it's okay to consider the idea that just like we have better treatments for physical problems now than we used to in the 1800s that maybe in the 24th century or the 23rd century we'll have better technology be it telepathy or you know uh whatever d- digital mental interfaces like that make addressing those kinds of yeah. issues more straightforward than they are right now so anyway it's interesting i mean it's cool that a ship can like spawn this whole weird conversation about mental health and therapy and trauma the ship man the ship design i like it (laughs) (laughs) yeah back to the ship yeah i wonder i mean it's got to be some because it's not a starfleet ship obviously we know so there's some third party involved here well, I should say it doesn't follow the standard like kind of look. It doesn't have the saucer. I mean, ship, it's yeah. entirely yeah. possible it's like a Federation ship. It's not within yeah, I would the like, sure. yeah. hierarchy of Starfleet. 
Yeah, I mean there yeah. Are, there are certainly civilian ships that are operated by civilian organizations that aren't Starfleet. I mean, I mean the easiest. It's not a perfect allegory, but the easiest allegory for Starfleet is like the U.S. Navy or the U.S. Yeah. Coast Guard, right? Like, and so there are going to be other people that have starships that just don't fall under that umbrella. Sure. I just feel like Starfleet can't decide. Like they they're willing to like throw what literally one counselor on a ship with hundreds of people on it. But then like, you know, if it gets too bad, you know, oh, it's just not Starfleet's problem. Okay, let's hire, let's hire a contractor to deal with it. <laughs> anyway, um, before we move on to this particular shot, I mean, they, I mean, this, we're getting really into the minutia here, but, you know, looking into the detail of these, uh, of this external shot that shows the dove, there are these other ships in the background here. Uh, one of them is clearly an Andorian uh, ship here, yeah. but there there is another sphere ship. When you talk about the Olympic class, there's kind of a vaguely Olympic-looking ship yeah. in the background there. There is that, yeah. And I think yeah. we've seen this before, and I feel like its overall like design and detail is a callback to like TOS ships, where they're just kind of a shape on the mm. screen. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like you can't really make out what that shape is supposed to be. Right. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to freeze frame yeah. and look at it like uh, we are, basically. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's got Andorian ship on there, which, you know, I love the Andorian ship aesthetic. Yeah. The Andorians have mental problems, too, man. They need to use the Dove's uh, services. The Andorians, I mean, they're not going to shove a counselor on a ship. Because you know, <laughs> all Andorians are well-adjusted. <laughs> no, is that what happens? They're totally fine with the mental prisons. And kind of yeah, makes sense. All right, uh, let's move on. Um, the episode Reflections, oh, uh, where we get uh, Rutherford's Hot internal ride. battles. Uh, we get we get the Sampaguita, mm-hmm. which is the young Rutherford's racing ship. Mm-hmm. You know, faces off against the Delta Flyer. I have questions about the ship. So first of all, it's a, a unique design. And it, I, speaking of like, you know, circles at the back of the ship, like <laughs> much yeah. like the Dove, this has a similar situation mm-hmm. here. But it's obviously a racer. I don't understand racing in Star Trek. Yeah. Like, do they race in, at sublight speeds? Because they seem to in this episode. Like, why does it have nacelles? Well, I mean, you got to get to the race. They track. race at what? But there could be parts that, like, <laughs> okay, we fly through this series of rings, then we warp to the next planetary mm. orbit, and then we race through these things, then we warp to the next. Well, yeah. But there's also, uh, I mean, there's also, I think there's implications in the TNG tech manual and some other places that. Even though impulse is sublight, there's still some subspace field usage yeah. to mm-hmm. to maneuver a ship at sublight because Star Trek ships are not actually coherently designed for just standard like Newtonian style yeah. propulsion, right? Like the position of the in- the impulse engine on a lot of them is not like, uh, especially on like the Constitution class ship, not really in the right place. But you're um, telling me that the uh, push the center vessel. of gravity or the center of mass. Is not all the way near the top of the Constitution class, right? Right. <laughs> so, like, so, so the subspace field that the nacelles generate is kind of the MacGuffin that offsets a lot of this weird stuff. And so, you could you could make an argument that the nacelles, even though they're not racing at warp, like having a warp field around the ship to offset some of its mass and provide some structural integrity, like helps you know helps it be a better racer. But that's, you know, subspace, you know, is the kind of the great cover your ass. <laughs> that's right. Methodology yeah. in Star Trek. Subspace yeah, fields, kids. Is. If you're ever confused about any problem <laughs> in Star Trek, 
The answer is subspace fields. (laughs) I do. I mean, like, I actually think the design would be stronger without the nacelles, though. If they just took the nacelles off of that, it's yeah. just uh, it just looked like a rocket, uh, basically. <laughs> with I, the I don't think it. Fair. it looked like it looked like something from Wipeout, yeah. you know, which is I, I, <laughs> not bad. Like I think Wipeout's tips I would are think cool. Just bringing the nacelles yeah. in closer to the main body would would really improve the design, and possibly like having mm-hmm. them at a slight angle. I don't know. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Just gonna staple them on there. It's definitely a unique design. I like it because it's it's taking some chances here. Like we don't really see a lot of other chip designs that are like this. So I wish I can I mean, appreciate one thing about it that I kind of putting it next to the Delta flyer. I feel like they're just so incredibly different. Makes it a little that it's too kind carny, of too, uh, cartoony, uh, cartoony, but I, I don't know that the, the right word, but it's just sort of like, it doesn't, they don't feel like they're from the same show. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the Delta flyer yeah. is like, has a very specific aesthetic and they, you know, and they, they might've actually used the Eagle Moss model for this. Because definitely, they're both definitely 3D models in this case. I think in yeah, some definitely. cases we've been, you know, we've got we've seen paintovers here when there hasn't been a lot of dynamic motion. But um, in this episode, they're definitely using 3D models, and they they're probably, I mean, maybe they built their own Delta Flyer model, but it's also possible they got one get the Eomos model for for this thing. So I don't know. I I think there I think there are things they could have done to kind of ground them a bit together I think, though, a bit more that the whole them being so drastically different that they feel like they're two different shows it actually really fits with the thrust of the episode and trying to create like these are two very different mm. rutherfords yeah, yeah that's that's fair that's true i think that's fair not to dwell too long on the delta flyer but i think we've only seen this very briefly in the in season two um looks good well and i think this one i think is a cg model as we mentioned but when we've seen it before, I think it's always been like background paint. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a 3D model here. Um, That's right. Yeah. It looks good. It also does a nice thing that I like. Yeah. That's um, good. And this, this is, goes back to the original design of the Delta Flyer. The nacelles <laughs> hang down so they have 50% <laughs> line of sight. Well, you know what's funny about that is, um, and they actually open up like originally, and we don't, we don't do this in Stowe. I don't, no, and I don't know yeah, how often they, they actually did, did this in the show, in the but show very often. But they're, I think, the first Pops time up, right? it goes to warp, mm-hmm. the nacelles actually yep. animate. Yeah, they they pop out or whatever, which I thought I was pretty forgot about it. Um, and something that people that missed. And... Yeah, yeah, for Voyager they'd already done it. For the... Yeah, <laughs> they lost. Know. They lost the animation of it extending nacelles. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I mean, Zelda Flyer was pretty late in Voyager, and I think they had totally transitioned yeah. to CG by then. By the time they added, so it like really wouldn't have added any money, you know. If if they had the animation once, they can reuse that animation yeah. in in new shots pretty easily. But uh, that's one of the things that's interesting about CG, where uh, I suppose it could happen with miniatures too. But you know, CG models I think are a lot more portable, where you can be like, you can hire one house to do to build the model and do some shots. And then they don't get the next season or whatever. And so they have to package everything up and send it off to the next house that does. But maybe they're not going to include a memo about the <laughs> right. animated nacelles or whatever. Right. And so it just doesn't do it anymore, right? So I don't uh, I don't yeah. know enough to say that's what happened, but uh, it, it's certainly a possibility. Well, and I think a lot of it, too, Voyager was very, like, frontier CG era where... 
the transition was happening. Yeah. So it's entirely possible that they said, hey, we're going to do this cool animation sequence. And, you know, they did it for the one episode. And then they're on to the new right. hotness. Awesome. And they just completely forget to yeah. include that in future scenes. Well, let's move on. Later in the same episode, we get uh, uh, Dideradex showing up, chasing the Sempagita and the Delta Flyer. It's not the first time we've seen the Dideradex, but it could be the first time we've seen the 3D model used. I don't know. It looks it looks good. I don't know. Do you guys have any feedback on the Dideradex? I mean, we've seen this design since next gen, so. Yeah, I think it's a great yeah. ship. Yeah, I love the Dideradex. I love the, the message that its shape and size yeah. kind of conveys. Mm-hmm. I'm just disappointed they didn't continue with that overall aesthetic in subsequent um, ships for the Romulans. They they instead moved over to like the winged Valdor Mm -hmm. type design. Yeah, yeah, the Valdor is a lot more compact uh, than the Dideradex, but you know the Dideradex is like I think they they wanted something that kind of made you know they made such a big deal in the first season of Enter- uh, excuse me of next generation about how great the enterprise d was right and then the Dideradex shows up and it's twice <laughs> as big right right yeah but i also like the, the fact that so much of that is just open space so it's all kind of like pomp right right well you know so the Dideradex was designed by andy probert who is of any starship designer very much a stickler for the rules you mentioned about the connecting to each other, you know, having line of sight between each other. And I think that's why the Daredex has that big open space. Open yeah. space in the middle is because you look at the where the, the warp grill, you know, the green glowing squares right. are, and those are totally exposed to each other. And that's actually so when they were doing pre production or I think like storyboarding for the motion picture, uh, Andy Probert worked on, you know, the motion picture enterprise. And there was a stage where they were going to have like crackling energy between the right. two nacelles. I remember reading about that. So the the inside of yeah. between the cells. So like in the motion picture enterprise, the the inside of the nacelles are lit, but the outside of the nacelles mm-hmm. are not. And the idea was that there was like energy going between the two between nacelles. The, and that's why you need the line of sight that you talked about. And so I think that's that's sort of why the, the Daredex has this big negative space because Andy Probert was honoring that rule. Right. And I think a lot of it too is they wanted to create a ship that was bigger than the Enterprise, more yeah. menacing. And without it being, you know, really bigger, if you know what I mean. <laughs> right. Here in like span, but not in mass. Right. Without like exponentially more massive. Right. Yeah. Because when you when you you know when you increase the volume on something, the the mass increases exponentially right. bigger, right? Yeah. yeah, for sure. Cool to see the Daredex. Well then, it seems our garrulous gabbing has gone grandiose, and we'll have to split this ship into a second segment. You've just finished part one of the Ships of Season 3. Why not come back for part two? Or, if that seems like more effort than it's worth, you can DM Stavos directly, and he'll send you crayon drawings of all his favorite starships. 